Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of my podcast. It's been a while since I've released an episode. I've just been busy, so I haven't had time to um, sit down and take detailed notes to continue my series that I was on there for the um, nervous system. But today I wanted to cover chronic kidney disease. I'm just going to jump all over the place because sometimes other topics jump at me more than others. And sometimes um, I'll try to focus on one particular uh, area and go through that. And then something else interests me and then I jump ship. So it's going to be a lot of going back and forth. It's not really a method to my madness, but I hope you guys enjoy today's episode and that the review helps wherever you are in your nursing career. Or if you're not in nursing, if you just want to review the disease and have an interest in it, I hope this is helpful to you. I'll just do an overview first of um, chronic kidney disease. So this is basically where we have progressive loss of kidney function. It results in a decline in glomerular filtration rate, so the amount of blood that the kidneys can process. And then it also leads to retention of urea and other uh, nitro nitrogenous another nitrogen if i can speak words another nitrogenous waste products and it also interrupts the regulation of the extracellular fluid volume and electrolytes so it may be staged according to glomerular filtration rate your gfr and then signs and symptoms are usually minimal until more than 75 percent of um, glomerular Glomerular filtration um, has been lost, and then it worsens as, like, the symptoms will worsen as kidney function declines even more. So this is basically fatal unless it is treated to try to prolong the life of the individuals because you need your kidneys. They do a lot of processing and cleansing for your bodies. And so when that isn't available, you essentially have lots of complications that then lead to death if not resolved or treated. Um, so this is the ninth leading cause of death in the United States. This can also be called chronic renal failure, which is CKD instead of... Um, oh, yeah, 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 that's it. That's what I wanted to say. Um, what else, what else? So the stages of chronic kidney disease um, basically... There's like stage one, stage two, stage three A, stage three B, stage four, and stage five. So stage one, GFR is normal or it's increased. So it's greater than 90 mils of blood per minute. Um, and But at an increased risk of kidney disease. So this person is still having normal function, but they're still at risk for kidney disease. So stage two the GFR is mildly reduced, where it's 60 to about 89 mils per minute, and they start to show signs of mild kidney disease. Stage 3A, the GFR moderately is reduced, so it's about 45 to 59 mils per minute, and signs of moderate chronic renal insufficiencies are evident in this stage. So stage 3B, GFR is moderately reduced, 30 to 44 mils per minute. And signs of moderate um, chronic renal insufficiency are still present. Stage 4, 
GFR severely reduced, 15 to 29 mils per minute, and signs of severe chronic renal insufficiency start to um, surface for the individual. And then stage 5, GFR indicates kidney failure, less than 15 mils per minute, and then signs of end-stage kidney disease. So with stage 1 and 2, the diagnosis is better established with one or more of the following conditions present. So if they have um, albuminuria, so albumin um, in the blood, not in the blood, in the urine, um, which is greater than 30 milligram in 24 hours, urine sediments, abnormalities, they might have electrolyte imbalances, um, they could have histological abnormalities, they could have structural abnormalities, and then they might have a history of kidney transplant. So this is um, staging um, for one and two. So the patho is basically nephrons are destroyed, and then eventually this causes irreversible kidney damage. Disease may progress through stages based on the GFR. Stage one, GFR is greater than 90 mils a minute. And stage five, GFR is less than 15 mils a minute. So what are some causes to chronic kidney disease? Well, some causes would be if the individual um, suffers from hypertension that's uncontrolled, um, endocrine diseases such as diabetes that's uncontrolled, um, glomerular disease, which could be primary or secondary issues, if they have congenital um, anomalies such as polycystic kidney disease, kidney, di- uh, kidney damage, vascular disease, cystic kidney disease, acute kidney injury. So this is where the individual could have an event where all of a sudden they have blood loss. So that would be pre-renal acute kidney injury or they're having diarrhea, vomiting, so um, volume depletion. This affects the kidneys and will put them into acute kidney failure. And if this is resolved, it can be reversed. But if it is not resolved, then it will progress to chronic kidney disease um, the longer this sustains. So risk factors would be family history, chronic infections, such as chronic pyelonephritis, um, collagen diseases such as systemic lupus, and then um, scleroderma also could be another collagen disease that affects the kidneys. Nephrotoxic agents can um, be a risk factor for kidney disease. Obstructive processes such as um, renal stones, and then also vascular diseases such as endocarditis, heart disease, of course. Um, elevated cholesterol levels can put people at risk for kidney disease. Obesity, smoking, um, renal artery stenosis can put them at risk for kidney disease. Use of illicit drugs such as heroin. And individuals who um, have black heritage are also at risk for kidney disease. Individuals who are older than the age of 65 are at risk for kidney disease. So the incidence of CKD affects about 1 in 10 adults in the United States at some level. So it could be um, uh, 1 to 2 stage or it could be chronic stage. So it varies. Um, The disorder can occur at any age, but it's more common in older adults with the highest incidence over age 60. Males, um, more males than females require hemodialysis. 
and then blacks are affected four times more often than whites. Complications, anemia, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, hyperparathyroidism, um, peripheral neuropathy, lipid disorders, platelet dysfunction, pulmonary edema, pericarditis, electrolyte imbalances, sexual dysfunction, malnutrition, um, renal bone disease, renal osteodystrophy, uh, decreased immune response, and end-stage kidney disease, and of course, death is always a complications. Um, history, so usually no signs or symptoms until stage four. So they could have history of underlying disease. They might have dry mouth, fatigue, nausea, vomiting, anorexia, hiccups, uh, muscle cramps, weakness, twitching, um, pruritus, that's itching, infertility, decreased libido, amenorrhea, um, erectile dysfunction, um, they could get pathologic fractures, they could have sleep problems, they could have a change in urine output, shortness of breath, reduced exercise capacity, they could have chest pain, they could have peripheral edema, new onset heart failure, um, and they would have bleeding tendencies, of course, um, ecchymosis. Physical findings would be things like Decrease urine output, hypotension, hypertension, altered level of consciousness, peripheral edema, cardiac arrhythmias, um, uh, bibasilar crackles in the lungs. They might get pleural friction rub. Um, gum ulceration and bleeding can also occur. Signs of malnutrition, loss of lean body mass. Um, they could also get um, uremic uh, fictor, abdominal pain on pelvic palpation, poor skin turgor, pale yellowish bronze skin, thin brittle fingernails, and dry brittle hair. So diagnostic test results, they might do um, blood urea nitrogen, um, which is called BUN. This shows elevated levels, and then creatinine as well as sodium, potassium, phosphate, and ammonium levels are usually elevated. Arterial blood gases shows decreased um, arterial pH and bicarbonate levels, so the kidneys are unable to help with that acid-base balance because they're not doing so hot themselves, so they're not going to be participating in their normal work duties, right? So that includes the acid and base balance of the body and correcting that. Um, what else? What else? Serum albumin level test results may decrease. Albumin excretion is greater than 30 milligram in 24 hours. They might get mild thrombocytopenia or platelet deficits may appear. Um, aldosterone secretion is increased. Hyperglycemia and hypertriglyceridemia, so like increased um, lipids in the blood will occur. High density lipid protein levels are decreased. So that's your um, HDLs, your good cholesterol. And then urinalysis reveals proteinuria, um, glycosuria. So this is protein in the urine, um, glucose in the urine, and then also urinary RBCs, leukocytes, cath, and crystals may be present when they do a urinalysis. Imaging, you could do kidney, ureter, bladder, radiography, um, excretory urography, since we're aging like ultrasounds of stuff. You could also do nephrotomography, may show reduced uh, kidney size. 
and then ultrasound of the kidneys and the perirenal structures may reveal, may reveal hydronephrosis, small kidneys, or structural abnormalities. Renal angiography may identify renal artery stenosis, and then a CT scanning of the kidneys may identify renal vein thrombosis, kidney masses or cysts, as well as kidney stones. MRI may be performed for patients unable to receive IV contrast for CT. Um, retrograde pilography may identify obstructive and renal stones. And then diagnostic, other diagnostic uh, procedures would be kidney biopsies to identify the underlying pathology. And then you could also do electroencephalography, which can show changes suggesting metabolic encephalopathy from your kidneys not functioning the way they should be. So for treatment, of course, you always want to treat the underlying cause of the kidney injury or disease. And then you want to avoid factors that may increase the progression of kidney dysfunction. You want to control their hypertension. You want them to get their diabetes under control if they have diabetes. And then, of course, um, DVT um, prophylaxis if they are hospitalized. Diet low protein. Um, this is more with peritoneal dialysis um, with high proteins. And then, oh, sorry, with peritoneal dialysis, you want them to have high proteins. Without peritoneal dialysis, you want them to have low protein. And then you want high calorie, low sodium, low phosphorus, low potassium diet sodium and fluid restrictions. The reason why you get them to consume less electrolytes is because if they are if their kidneys are failing um, and it's more of a very moderate to severe form, they're not clearing those electrolytes. So they are building up in the body and so the more that potassium and sodium build up and then if they consume it more through diet, it builds up even more and that puts them at um electrolytes abnormalities and when those things are high it puts them at risk for um, arrhythmias which could affect how the heart um, muscle functions and the arrhythmias could be lethal if potassium um, levels rise and rise and rise and um, are untreated essentially so they have to monitor what they take in because already their body's going to be retaining those electrolytes so that's why um, you get them to do the low electrolytes in their diet. Um, so also you want to do sodium and fluid restriction, um, protein restriction for stage 5 disease based on serum protein and albumin levels, um, and of course encourage rest periods when the patient is fatigued. Medications that they might be on, so they might be on um, ACE inhibitors or um, angiotensin receptor blockers to control hypertension and progression of proteinuria which is protein um, passing through the kidneys into the urine, um, which harms, of course, the little um, nephrons because those big molecules are not supposed to get through um, the kidneys. They're supposed to, you know, stay in the body and not be processed by the kidneys. Um, what else was I trying to say? Oh, you they might be on anti-diabetic agents if they're type 2, um, just to start to control their uh, glucose levels, and then of course if they're type 1, encouraging them to um, control their blood sugars through developing their insulin regimen and being more routine with what they eat and what they consume and how much insulin they give themselves and checking their blood sugars very um, frequently before meals and throughout the day. 
Uh, they might have phosphate binders such as calcium carbonate or calcium acetate for hyperphosphatemia. They might get oral calcium carbonate um, for hypocalcemia and then also um, erythropoietin to help produce those red blood cells. Uh, what else? And then iron salts such as uh, ferrous sulfate for anemia. And then, of course, statins for hyperlipidemia, loop diuretics for fluid volume overload, unless patient has reached stage 5 chronic kidney disease. Then, of course, it would be dialysis. Um, what else could they be on? There's also salva, salvamir carbonate to help reduce phosphate levels without inducing hypoclase, uh, hypocalcemia. So, um, reducing how much phosphate is kept in the body without risking um, the lowering levels of their calcium. And then, of course, analgesics for pain or any other um, pain management that might be effective for the patient. And then dialysis or peritoneal dialysis. This will depend on the patient and their profile, um, their health profile, and what um, would be more beneficial to them. This is usually... Um, therapy depending on how the physicians review their um, medical history, their stages of disease, and what they need. So they'll either be on hemodialysis or peritoneal dialysis. And then of course the creation of access for dialysis would be one thing. And then kidney transplant, although those are hard to come by. Alright, so we will go to, I will review the nursing considerations next. Okay, so for nursing considerations, we want to give prescribed drugs such as ACE inhibitors um, to help control hypertension, give the phosphate binders with meals, give the oral calcium carbonate um, without food. Also want to administer subcutaneous um, epoitin alpha weekly, so that's like to help their red blood cells or hemoglobin. Um, and then you, there's also the DARPA poitent alpha, which can also be given IV or subcutaneously as ordered. So those will help um, kind of keep their hemoglobin up so that they can have um, adequate um, oxygen carrying capacity. And then, of course, always encourage the patient to express their feelings, their concerns, especially related to their illness and how that's going to affect them, how that's going to affect their family members, who's going to be helping them with this disease, how it might um, affect their sexuality, and um, also providing emotional support when needed for the patient and the family. Social work usually is really good at this, um, at least for my unit, um, with providing that support for them. And then, of course, trying to um, give them resources for positive coping strategies that they can use for them to um, come to kind of understand and manage their disease. And then you want to provide clear explanation of all care and treatment. Encourage the patient to participate in their decision-making as much as possible. And promote a feeling that they can have control over their situation. Sometimes patients feel like they don't have control over their situation. So kind of just um, motivating them and encouraging them to get involved and empowering them that they are in control and they can be in control of their health. And then also expects um, dosage 
adjustments for medications that are cleared by the kidneys for these individuals. And then of course you want to make sure you're obtaining their um, daily weights. Note any significant increases or decreases and report them to your physician. And then you also want to check their hydration status, avoid um, things that might deplete the patient's volume or things that might overload the patient because their kidneys will have trouble um, monitoring that. And of course, depending on um, the patient um, status, they might get a Foley catheter um, inserted or not. It really just depends on what they need. And then um, if they're really critically ill, you might need that Foley to check their hourly ins and outs just to see how much the kidneys are making. We can keep note of it on an hourly basis. And then of course, you're always screening for patient for pain and then um, providing adequate pain management if needed. What else, what else? Um, you wanna monitor closely if the patient's at high risk for adverse um, outcome related to pain medication, like if they're prescribed and placed on opioids. You wanna monitor them closely for um, side effects. Um, also, what else? You want to probably provide, this is for a lot of the patients in the hospital, provide um, rest periods, cluster, cluster your care together to promote rest so that you don't exhaust them by coming in multiple times into the room to interrupt their rest. And then they will likely have um, DVT prophylactis, so D-vein thrombosis uh, prophylactis. We want to prevent the clots from forming in the legs and then causing um, complications while they're hospitalized. What else? What else? You, well, for this one, you can um, pay closer attention to their skin and their mucous membranes for signs of um, bleeding because it could be at increased risk for um, low platelet levels. So you want to just make sure those labs are being checked. And of course, you're just doing like a general survey of their um, skin integrity and if they have any signs of bleeding anywhere, any bruising that was, you know, just appearing but patient didn't like bang their hand or anything but just appeared just want to keep an eye on those things then of course you're doing your head to toe and then if they are on fluid restriction just kindly reminding the patient that they are on a fluid restriction and just kind of visually telling like writing on the board how much fluid they've had and how much left they can have so that they have a visual reminder that oh I'm not supposed to drink over this amount and this is how much I've already drank in today and then, of course, just monitoring their labs. And then if the patient's um, kidney disease is towards the more severe, um, more end-stage disease, then you probably just want to um, prepare the patient and the family for dialysis and what that can entail. And um, possibly the patient could be put up for kidney transplant if they qualify but more likely they'll be approached about dialysis before um, transplant. Uh, what else? That should be mostly it. Um, so for monitoring, you're monitoring their kidney functions through their lab, like laboratory, ins and outs, vital signs, um, their intake and output, their daily weights, fluid balance and hydration status, their nutritional status, their coping skills, you want to make sure their cardiopulmonary status, you're monitoring that. Um, laboratory test results, you're monitoring those for, um, especially for electrolytes and blood urea, nitrogen, so the BUN. 
and their creatinine levels you're always monitoring signs and symptoms of bleeding you're looking out for dialysis access site you want to make sure that that site is clean does not look infected and if it is you have to let the physician know that is their lifeline once they have that inserted so we like to guard that um, as much as possible and make sure that that site stays intact um yeah so that is it for kidney failure kidney disease hope you guys enjoyed that episode please feel free to leave a review feel free to leave comments um yeah share the podcast with someone you know who might think it's interesting otherwise i will see you guys in the next episode bye now